0: Among us, the signs of life and light in our world, the earlier sunrises and the flowers popping up in the ground and the, the warm winds that uh, warm our hearts and faces. We give you thanks and praise for your breath of life through the Spirit that wakes us up every morning and gives us strength to serve and love in your kingdom. We trust in you as our God and we delight that we can gather for worship uh, wherever we are, called by your Spirit. Uh, anointed by your word, to, to hear your word and to come together. So help us to listen to Jesus as he speaks to us today, as he, as he meets people by the side of the road and, and reaches out to the lost ones. For we too have been lost and been found, and, and some of us are feeling more lost and others more found today. But God, we know that you are the one who gathers us. You are the one who says, come, come as you are without one plea, but that Jesus' blood was shed for you. So we, we rest in your promise that you have healed and forgiven and saved us by Jesus' blood. We come to you with these prayers and petitions and our joys of our hearts. We, we give you thanks and praise for how you are working healing in our midst, for how you've protected us thus far through this pandemic, for how you are uh, working good in our community through Ebenezer Christian School and Moms and Tots and Project Canefire and many other organizations and people that serve in our midst. God, we trust that you are working healing too, especially in the lives of Tom and Teresa, Terry and Larry, Joby and Sarah and David, we pray that you um, guard and protect their hearts in in trust and faith as they walk through these difficult times, heal them and bring them to full restoration in the body. We pray for those members of our church who can't join with us regularly for worship, whether it's because of old age or health or other concerns. We know that you are, are, are the head of the church and you're the one who gathers us together. You're the one who binds us together as one, not just as one congregation, but as one church universal, all all saints in heaven and on earth gathered to sing praises to your name. We pray that we may be your church in the world each and every day, that we may uh, witness to Jesus Christ and what he has done among us, that we may uh, speak of of what he has done in, in coming in glory, in coming in suffering, in coming in death and life again. And we pray that we may, that we may be those who, who love and serve in your kingdom too. Those who listen to your word and put it into practice through, through radical acts of repentance and uh, generosity, through, through faithfulness every day, through small words of encouragement and faith. We pray that you are working good in our midst through Ebenezer Christian School. We pray for the students and the parents and the teachers and administrators. We pray for uh, moms and tots and good Sam. We pray for our fellow churches in the area that as they gather for worship, your spirit may work strongly among them. We pray for our council, our elders and deacons, and we pray for each one of us, our fellow members of the body, that we may serve one another and your, your world in ways that are faithful to your word, that are true and full of, of your life and love for us. God, we trust that you are, are working in our midst now as we come to your word. And so we pray that you open our ears to hear and our our hearts to love and to know you through your word, that we may be transformed as people in your image who who do and act and speak in ways that are, uh, are like Jesus. So we pray this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, our scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 18. Uh, we'll read part of chapter 18 and part of chapter 19, where Jesus brings us uh, two stories of people he meets on the side of the road. I invite you to open your Bibles or uh, read the words on screen. Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the prophet, by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. And they will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging And when he heard the crowd was going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. And then Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost ones. That's been this theme that we've been seeing in Luke all along. Uh, Just uh, today we meet this blind man who's a lost one and, and a lost tax collector by the side of the road. And it might make you think back just two weeks ago when we heard those three parables about lost ones. You know, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find that one lost sheep. Or the woman who uh, who loses a coin and searches for it desperately. And both the shepherd and the woman come back and they throw a party. They're so excited about it. And uh, the, the father who loses his son. And when the son comes back, he throws this joyful party. But the lost people in look don't all look quite the same, do they? Um, some of them are rich and some are poor. Some are sinners and some are called righteous. And some are part of the crowd and others, well, they're outcasts. They're on the side of town. In, in Luke 2, way back in the beginning at Christmas time, we heard the angels give this word to the shepherds. They said, I bring you good news of great joy for all peoples. See, last week we heard the good news uh, for, for Lazarus and for the rich man. Jesus told this parable about a beggar and a rich man, and in life, one of them suffered and the other feasted, and in death, they find their roles flipped. The the rich man wants to warn his brothers about what's going to happen if they keep on doing this way, and Jesus says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, the word is enough. Let them listen to the word and do it. And there's another rich man in Luke uh, 18, right, right before this passage, Uh, a rich man, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him basically the same answer. He says, you know, the commandments do them. And the man says, well, uh, I, I have done them already. And then Jesus says, sell everything you got and give it to the poor and then follow me. And that makes that rich man sad because he is very wealthy. He doesn't understand how his wealth and the gospel are connected. And even the disciples here don't quite understand Jesus. That's where we come to the stories today. Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem, and he's coming up into Jericho. Now, that, that journey from Galilee to Jerusalem would involve passing through Jericho. You'd come down from the, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee along the Jordan River and cross over it from the east into Jer- Jericho, and then from there up, up, up several thousand feet to Jerusalem. Jesus is retracing the path that the Israelites took when they first came into the land during the Exodus. And Jericho, when they come to it, Jericho is this very Jewish town at the time of Jesus. It's a place of victory. Remember, the Israelites walked around it seven times until the walls fell down. Uh, it's, It's this town of priests and Levites who live there, and they walk up to Jerusalem to serve in the temple. And it's a Jewish nationalist town. It's full of dreamers and zealots and Pharisees. And because of that, it also has a heavy Roman military presence. It's this pot that's about to boil over. And so Jesus reminds his disciples for a third time about his mission. He takes them aside and he says, God will fulfill his word. He will suffer and die and rise again on the third day. And the the disciples, once again, do not understand this. The meaning is hidden from them. Luke says it a, a third way, just in case we didn't get it. They don't know what he's talking about. They are spiritually blind. And that's when they all meet a blind man by the side of the road. See, Jesus is on his way into Jericho from the the east, and he is coming into town, and the crowd comes out to meet him like a conquering king. See, the crowd is going to usher him into the city through the gates to some sort of big celebration, maybe a joyful feast. It's a preview of Palm Sunday, by the way, which we're going to see just next week, when the crowd of Jerusalem comes out to greet Jesus and usher him into the city. But there's someone here on the sidelines, if you look and see him. There's this blind man, a beggar, who's on the side of the road. He's there doing his job. He's he's playing the role he has to play in society. His job is to offer people a chance to be righteous, to give them a chance to give to the poor so they can fulfill the law and, and be seen as good people. But he's also excluded by the crowd. He's on the sidelines by his blindness. He's outside of town, not in town. And he depends on the mercy of the crowd and the people passing by to survive. And he needs people to guide him to get to the roadside. He needs people to protect him now from getting crushed by the crowd. And he depends on them even for his information. What's happening, he asks. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And somehow that's enough for this blind man. He he sees what's going on and he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's an unusual thing for him to say. It's a, it's a strange title. It's the first time in the Gospel of Luke that anybody's called Jesus son of David. It means he's the Messiah. He's the long-expected one. And it also means he is a king. And that's a dangerous thing to say in this place at this time. That's why the crowd tries to shut him up, because he is saying the quiet part out loud. He is saying the secret thing that is in their hearts way too loud, because everyone hopes that Jesus is the one who's going to free them from the Romans. He is the one who's going to come in and and, and send the Romans packing. And the blind man just blurts it out. And remember the location. They're just outside of Jericho. And this is the sort of place where revolts start The Roman military is occupying the town with their heavy-handed presence. And if people aren't careful, anything could happen. This blind man is endangering everyone in the crowd. They could all get rounded up for him saying this. But he doubles down. He he cries out even louder, full of desperation, almost screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he refuses to be silenced. He, He interrupts Jesus' teaching moment, the walk and talk along the road. He, he sees reality and he says it. But how does he know this? How does he know that Jesus is the son of David? Remember the crowd told him that this is Jesus of Nazareth and the blind man calls him son of David. It, the He knows it because he can see he has received sight already he has been given this spirit given sight this revelation this uncovering of the truth and he may be blind but he sure can see and jesus stops he stops he will not allow the crowd to silence this man and that's one of the first problems we see here the the blind man is lost because the crowd has excluded him and Jesus asks the very people who silence that man to bring him to Jesus. And Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? I-, I love that question. What do you want me to do for you? Imagine if Jesus asked you that question today. What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer It's this question that's full of meaning and possibility. Jesus asks this question because it opens doors. Jesus asks questions like this because it makes you think. And before, the blind man was asking Jesus for mercy. You know, that could mean anything. It could mean, give me some money. It could mean, help me out, man. It could be just the thing that beggars always say. And the blind man answers Jesus from the bottom of his heart. He says, Lord, I want to see now he doesn't tell jesus what to do he doesn't say heal my eyes he doesn't uh, demand a miracle he just says what he desires to see and jesus answers him your faith has healed you see he, he can see already uh, one commentator says that in the gospel of luke faith equals sight Faith equals sight. uh, Because the blind man saw Jesus for who he was, the son of David, he believed. Another commentator says that this blind man has received sight because of his sight. He's received sight because of his sight. He can see because he can see already who Jesus is. So the question is, are we with the crowd and the disciples who are still confused about who Jesus is? Or are we with the blind man who can see him? Do we see Jesus for who he really is? Now the problem here again is that the crowd has excluded the blind man. And and, and you might wonder, how often do we exclude other people from seeing Jesus? Maybe by our actions in daily life. Maybe by what we post on social media. Maybe by our location. Maybe by our habits or, or our words. The, the crowd doesn't see Jesus clearly, but the man, the blind man, does. And Jesus doesn't condemn the crowd Notice he doesn't rebuke the crowd at all. He he just restores the blind man's physical sight, and he more importantly, he brings him back into the community. Jesus restores his sight and restores him to community. And the blind man rejoices and follows Jesus, and he joins this crowd of Jesus followers that are headed up to Jerusalem. And he praises God, and uh, the whole crowd joins in. He is no longer alone. The the lost sheep has returned to the fold and great rejoicing breaks out. The the 100 are whole again. The crowd is complete now that the blind man is with them. And that is worth a hallelujah and a praise the Lord. And then the story continues on the other side of Jericho. See, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus enters Jericho and passes through. And that's a bit of a problem, too, because remember the crowd's plan? They were coming out to greet him and welcome him into the city and maybe throw him a big feast. Uh, Surely Jesus is going to stop and stay a while. Maybe he'll even spend the night in our town. But Jesus has other plans. He's passing through. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He is going to suffer and die and rise again. And the crowd is probably disappointed, to put it mildly, that Jesus is just passing through they might be deeply insulted. Uh, Jesus has rejected their hospitality. He's thrown off, blown off their celebration. He's leaving town. Jesus uh, still there is still one person in this town though who wants to see Jesus and his name is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, you know, you may have heard of him as a kid. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and wee little man was he. He's a tax collector. And he's not just any tax collector, says Luke. He is a chief tax collector. And since it's uh, tax season here in the United States, you might uh, think that their tax system kind of worked like ours. You know, our our system is mostly based on this idea of trust, but verify. Verify. You know, you, if you have income from a job, your, your employer reports that, that the wages on a form called a W-2 and sends it to the IRS, and then you've got to file your taxes and tell them the same number, and hopefully they all match up, and it works out in the end, and you get some money back. Now, the, the, sim- the system could be a lot simpler, but that's a whole other question. But the, the, for income that isn't verified by a third-party system like that, it turns out that we Americans do sometimes cheat on our taxes. There's a, an article I read recently about, uh, from 1991 that says that uh, back in 86, 87, the IRS changed the rules and started requiring people to have a, a social security number on the form for every kid that they claimed a, uh, a, an exemption for. Every kid over the age of five, I think it was. And it turns out that between 86 and 87, 7 million children went missing in the United States. You ever heard about that? Seven million children disappeared from people's tax forms between 86 and 87 when the IRS started checking. And they weren't even checking. They were just asking people to put the number down. Now, for, to, to this day, though, for, for business income, the, the system is, is not so good. I read yesterday that something like an ex- estimated $600 billion of, of business taxes go uncollected this year and maybe $7.5 trillion over the next decade. Uh, because they don't, there's no way of, of, of checking what that income is. They just trust businesses to say what it is. Now, the Roman Empire doesn't work that way. They don't trust anybody at all. Especially not their tax collectors. They used this system called tax farming. Think of it as big fish and smaller fish and smaller fish. The big fish at the top is the emperor. He grants the right to a a ruler in a particular area to collect taxes, and he demands an annual payment of such and such amount. And then that ruler, in turn, has chief tax collectors in each province or region who have to go out and collect the taxes or hire other people below them to go out and collect the taxes from poor fishermen like the disciples of Jesus. And, and Zacchaeus has to pay a certain amount to the guy who's above him every year. But anything beyond that, he can keep. Uh, what was it 1%, 2%, 20%? We, we have no idea. But uh, way back in Luke 3, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist had something for tax collectors. He, the tax collectors came to him and said, what should we do now that we've received baptism and repented? And, and he tells them, collect only what is required of you, no more. In other words, work for the empire for free. Now, Zacchaeus here is this successful tax collector, a chief tax collector, and he's pretty good at it. He's gotten rich uh, from doing this job. Clearly, he's been collecting a lot more Than he needed. But the strange thing in Luke here about the lost ones that come to Jesus is that they want to see Jesus. And it's not clear why Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Luke doesn't give us a reason, but he chooses a really strange way to do it. He finds a sycamore tree, which is a a tree with big leaves and low branches, uh, kind of like a mulberry tree. Now, those trees were only allowed outside of town. They were not allowed within the city limits. And maybe he thinks he can see Jesus secretly. Maybe he thinks he can hide up there and watch Jesus go by from afar. Maybe he's afraid of the crowd. You know, It would be risky for a hated man like Zacchaeus to join the crowd of Jesus' followers. Uh, if he works his way through the crowd, all it would take would be a knife in the ribs and no one would know what had happened until the crowd had passed on. He's risking his dignity to climb a tree and his, his very life to come close and see Jesus. And so Zacchaeus waits up there in the tree for Jesus, and the crowd comes closer, and he can see Jesus. And the surprising thing is that Jesus sees him. Maybe the crowd has caught sight of him too. Zacchaeus is defenseless up there in the tree, and Jesus comes close to Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Uh, I must stay at your house today. And again, Jesus surprises everyone in the crowd. He knows Zacchaeus' name. He orders him to come down, and he orders him to be his host. That's not how hospitality is supposed to work. You're not supposed to invite yourself over to someone's house. But the word must here is key. In Greek, uh, I must stay at your house. Must indicates it is necessary. It is this divine necessity that is happening. Must is a word used for God's redemption plan. God's salvation is already at work right here in Zacchaeus' life in the moment that he climbs down from the tree. And Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus gladly with rejoicing into his home. They feast like anyone would feast over finding a lost sheep or a lost coin or a lost son or a lost child of God. And Jesus is willing to go into his house and become unclean by entering and eating his food. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to do stuff in Jerusalem. Things are going to happen, and now he is no longer ceremonially clean. And the crowd begins to grumble. They've got a lot to grumble about, too. Uh, Jesus, the conquering king, that maybe would-be Messiah, he is eating with sinners instead of walking in power to Jerusalem. Jesus has just rejected Jericho's hospitality, and now he's feasting with Zacchaeus. And Jesus has just saved the hide of a tax collector from the mob, this Roman collaborator. What kind of king is Jesus, they might wonder? And in the middle of the feast, when everyone is reclining at the tables to eat, Zacchaeus gets up. And he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now Zacchaeus has repented already. Jesus saved him up in the tree. And now he declares to everyone that he will make things right. He will give not a tenth of his income, but half of his money to the poor. And on top of that, he'll pay back what he cheated four times over, which is according to the law's guidelines for stealing. Now, he probably can't afford to do any of this. If he's cheated, if if everyone he's cheated over the years adds up to more than uh, 13% of his current assets, there is no way he could pay it back. This excessive generosity is this response to the grace that he's received it's, it's proof that he's serious, even if he can't possibly do it. But salvation comes first to him. Grace comes first. Zacchaeus rejoices with Jesus before he gets up to make his speech. And then he shows his repentance by taking action. He goes above and beyond. He, in fact, the Greek verbs here for what he does are not future tense, like, I will do this. No, they're, they're present tense, like, I am doing this even now. And Jesus says to him, salvation. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. See, God's salvation, which includes healing and wholeness, has come. It's come in the person of Jesus Christ who has come into his house, who looked up and saw a lost one. Salvation has come because Jesus has come to his house. Jesus comes to call the lost ones to repentance. And Zacchaeus is a good example of that. Jesus also welcomes those who are lost back into the fold. That is salvation. Because Jesus makes this point of saying that Zacchaeus is and has always been a son of Abraham. He is a true Jew. The crowd might have excluded him from seeing Jesus, just like that blind man, but Jesus brings the lost ones home. He restores the lost to community. He makes whole what was broken. Uh, what was, uh, he heals what was wrong. He gives sight to the blind, and he sees those who are hidden. And that's what salvation means. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost Luke pairs these two stories together, the blind man and Zacchaeus, because Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Jesus seeks them and finds them and saves them. He heals them. Jesus restores them to, to community. And one commentator says the lost are, are not the damned or the doomed. They're not in the wrong place. Jesus comes to seek them and find them. The lost and the wanderer are restored to community. And Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. And for both the blind man and Zacchaeus, salvation comes when Jesus stops. Jesus invites them to come near. And the blind man comes to Jesus, is brought to Jesus, and the Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, and that is the moment when everything changes. A, a professor of preaching says this about the lost ones. Uh, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that's not a promise that's postponed until we die. It's a promise now to those who have lost jobs and to those who no longer find meaning in your work, uh, for those who will change careers many times and, and those who feel angry that they've got to find someone to blame for everything that's changed. Jesus stops today to meet us as we are, wherever we are, proud of our successes or ashamed of our failures, and something inside us knows that making a living is not the same thing as finding your life. Come down, says Jesus. I have a surprise for you. Come down. Come on down from your tree. Lay down your life and follow me. Remember where Jesus is headed. Look back to verse 31. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled he will be delivered over to the gentiles they will mock him and insult him and spit on him they will flog him and kill him and on the third day he will rise again come on down follow him to Jerusalem where next week we'll see him received as king Follow him to the table where he gives his body and blood to his disciples. Follow him to the cross and to the grave and the empty tomb. Come, says Jesus, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O Jesus Christ, we come to you as the lost ones who you seek after with such persistence and love we come and we say, find us and bring us to you. Enable us to follow you all our days. Stir about repentance in us, the fruit of changed heart and changed lives, that we may be your people, that we may follow you, that we may follow your word and put it into practice, like Zacchaeus, like the blind man, like like all the people who followed Jesus through all the centuries. God, we know that you are the one who seeks us, and it is your grace that comes first to us in this word of invitation. Come. And so we come to you and we ask that you heal us and restore us, that you give us your full salvation, uh, the, the healing and wholeness to all that is broken and ill in us, that we may forever serve you and love you all of our days in, in joyfulness and thankfulness of heart. This we pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As a song of response to the gospel, we'll we'll invite you to rise in body or in spirit to sing with me, I sought the Lord, number 498 in the Psalter hymnal.